Uh, my name is Caleb. I'm the student pastor here, and I have the honor of speaking to y'all weekly um, and just being able to do life with you, along with a bunch of other leaders uh, that are here simply because they love you um, and they want to see you succeed in life. Um, and that's what this place is about as well. It's like we just want to equip you with the tools so that you succeed um, in life. Cool. Cool. All right. Sweet. So next week we got a Super Bowl party and. Just know it's going to be awesome. Um, all right, I'm, a, I'm going to pray for us real quick before we get started. I just invite you, uh, this will be a time for you to put your phone on vibrate, silent, whatever, um, like a movie theater style. Uh, and then I invite you just to, pr- to pray with me. We talked about worship this morning uh, and, and talking about just allowing um, that worship doesn't, doesn't end with music, um, but, but it's, it's part of everything we do. Um, that we worship God on how we listen to his word taught, um, even when the dude's boring or even when he's the best preacher you've ever heard, um, that, that we worship him in every moment. But he said, man, I, I just remember it being laid on my heart this morning that, that worship, uh, man, when we sing the songs, it, it, it's supposed to act as a, a focuser for us, to focus us to, to the truth of who Jesus is what he's done. And so I just encourage you as we're going to sing at the end again um, that you would just be thinking about that. Man, who, who is Jesus? Um, and what has he done for you? Uh, let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for this time. Thank you for uh, just bringing us here. Uh, Lord, for uh, gathering us together. Lord, we pray for those that couldn't make it tonight that are sick or that um, are dealing with, with other things going on, that you just be with them. Um, that you would speak through me. And that it'd be my voice, Lord, but, but your words, uh, that you would change us um, by your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. <clears throat> All right, so I want to open up with the scriptures. It's a guy, um, Ananias, and, and it's just kind of like his testimony. It's a quick part that I don't think we focus on a whole lot. And this is what it says. He says, now there is a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. Uh, And he had had seen a vision. And he had seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and laying his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. So let me tell you real quick, Ananias is sleeping or sitting there, whatever. The Lord comes to him in a vision. I've never had this happen. Um, It'd be pretty sweet or really freaky. I'm not really sure uh, because I've never had it happen. But the Lord comes to Ananias and says, hey, I need you to get up. I need you to go to this guy. He's named Saul. He's down on this street. Here's the exact house you need to go to. Um, And then I need you to walk in there. And he has seen a vision about you coming and is expecting you. And just go in there, lay your hands on and pray for him so that he may know me, that he may receive salvation. Now, what I want you to do, what I do want you to know is even though I've never seen a vision or had one like that, that these still happen today. I was reading this book, The Insanity of God, and it is about people today where the Lord is like, I need you to go into this bookstore and they're like Muslims and they're like, I need you to go into this bookstore and, and there's a blue book on the shelf and they go into this bookstore, a Muslim country, a Muslim library, there's one blue book and it's the Holy Bible and they pull it off and they find out who Jesus is. Like crazy stuff. Okay, so that's still happening. So this is what's happening. He had this vision, Saul had this vision. He said, but Ananias answered, so Ananias responds back to the Lord, answered and said, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done for your saints at Jerusalem. 
And here he has authority from the chief um, to bind all who call on your name. And so Ananias responds to the Lord and he says, hey, God, uh, that's great and everything, but man, this guy's crazy. Uh, He's kind of the equivalent. I just, my goal for you um, as I read scripture, as as we continue to do life together is for you in this state of life. It's, it's a, a transition from being a child, even if you've grown up with the Bible. If you haven't, then you're kinda, uh, you kind of bypass a step, which is all right. Uh, but if you have, uh, you, know, you probably know a lot about Scripture and you know a lot of the Bible stories, but here's how you see them. Um, it's because this is the way I see them. You see them in cartoon format. You see them in like kind of soft, fuzzy, kid-friendly format. But the Bible is actually pretty exciting and, and not always kid-friendly. Um, And so I wanted to just kind of help you understand what Ananias was saying for a moment. Um, If you just pull up the picture, uh, I cannot even say this dude's name. Uh, His name's Sheik Malo something, something other and and other. That's like just all the letters of the alphabet. Um, Like literally, I think it is. He forgot. A Q. He's missing a Q. All right. So (laughs) um, this dude, this dude is uh, the head of the Taliban. If you Google head of the Taliban. Just, go, just Google image it, not right the second when you get home, or don't, because you probably get on some list. Uh, but just trust me on it, maybe, and don't have the police come to your house. All right, but this guy is reportedly the head of the Taliban. And here's what I want you to know about the Taliban, is, is Saul was equivalent, the guy that Ananias is like, I don't wanna go to this guy's house, was equivalent to this dude. That this guy right now, if you, if you say you're a different sect of Muslim, you're probably gonna die or, or get kicked out of the country without anything, no packing, nothing, whatever's on your back, leave. If you say you're a Christian, you're more likely to get killed, but also very likely to be kicked out of the country if you're not killed. That this guy is heading up a group of people that were doing that right now, today, in this moment even. Saul was this dude at that time. In Acts chapter Seven, it says Stephen was martyred, killed, this guy who said, man, I just love Jesus, and they stoned him to death. And then everyone laid their robes at the feet of Saul and said, yo, we support what you're doing. You are killing Christians, and we support that. That was this guy. And God told Ananias, hey, I need you to go to this guy's house and lay your hands on this guy. Ananias says, Lord, I don't know if you know this guy. I imagine Ananias is living a normal life like you and me. Who, the people in who, who say, man, I, I know Jesus, I've, I've come to love Jesus, and I'm kind of comfortable in my place with Jesus, Ananias. That's Ananias. Man, I'm comfortable here. I'm good with it. And then Jesus calls him to do something unthinkable. And so we kind of see Ananias in this moment kind of hesitating to proclaim the grace of God. I want to share a little secret with you. Change subject real quick. Um, not a lot of people know this about me, um, and don't judge me for it, but from about the second grade, I started to take martial arts, Taekwondo in particular, okay? So I started to take martial arts, and my whole um, thought was I just need to get to be a black belt. Why? One, Chuck Norris is a black belt. Two, black belts are legit, okay? Three, Black belts scare bullies away, regardless of how you use it. All right, perfect. So I had my three reasons, and I wanted to be a black belt, and so I ended up training, um, to be a black belt. And I ended up competing in, in statewide competitions in Texas, which is like six of Virginia. And then I ended up competing um, in national tournaments all over the nation. And, and don't let that flatter you because I went to a national tournament one time and I got destroyed 
by this kid who was like half my height. He literally kicked me all over my body. It was terrible. I left crying, okay? It, that's how great it was. I've tried to block it out of my memory. Um, the best part about that whole trip was in, we were in Kentucky and I got a boom box out of a thrift store, okay? Um, yeah, there it was. That was a long drive for a boom box. Uh, you don't know what that is probably. Good, thank you. All right. So all I wanted was this black belt. And, and then um, I talked to Master Kim. Master Kim, I don't even know what his full name is. That for me, that was his first and his last name, Master Kim. All right, so Master Kim was this guy who was from South Korea, had trained in Taekwondo for over 30 years. He was like an eighth degree black belt. What that takes is for your, you get your first degree black belt, you two years before you get your second, and then three years before you get your third, and four years before you can get your fourth, and then after you get your fourth, five years until you can get your fifth, and then you've gotta to go to South Korea to, to test for your sixth, and then your seventh. This dude was an eighth degree black belt. He was legit, like he could kill you by staring at you. And, <laughs> and I remember him saying, he said, getting your black belt is not the end of your training. It is the beginning of your training. To get your black belt only sets you up the foundation that you need to start real training. And I remember thinking, okay, I'm just gonna get my black belt and quit. And that's what I did. That was kind of anticlimactic, right? Yeah, yeah. That was his, that was, that was his, his, his whole speech. Was this is, this is just getting you started. And it's on that point tonight that, that I really want to speak. Because I think a lot of us are comfortable in our faith and we're comfortable um, being Christians and, and, and who we are. But I think that is just the starting point. A lot of us view it as the finish line. And it's not the finish line, it's just the starting point. We've been talking about grace and, and what grace is, is undeserved, unearned favor that God gives us, that we have through Jesus. Jesus is the example of grace, and through Jesus we receive life, and so grace gives us life, and through Jesus we receive peace, and peace um, is replicated when we treat situations in our life with grace, and so grace brings peace, and tonight I want to continue and close out the series on grace with the thought that, man, only is that us getting started when we come to know who Jesus is. See, the story with Ananias continues. That Ananias listened to God, and God said, no, like he's waiting for you. And Ananias gets up, and he goes to Straight Street. I don't even know what time it was, and it could have been the middle of the night, and he goes to Straight Street, and he finds Saul, and he lays his hands on Saul. And Saul's eyes, uh, the, it says that the scales on his eyes fell, and he could see clearly. And then Ananias baptized Saul, and Ananias gave Saul some food. He hadn't had food in three days, and so not only spiritually, but physically, he helped this man. And then it says that Saul changed his name to Paul, and Paul wrote the greater part of the New Testament. And where we're going to be tonight is Ephesians 1, uh, 3, 1 through 3, and that's where we've been this whole time. It was written by Paul to the church in Ephesus. And Paul, that's this place in way the heck on the other side of the country. And Paul says this. He says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, on behalf of the Gentiles, there should be verses on the screen, assuming that you have heard the stewardship of God's grace 
that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation as I have written briefly. And so he, this is kind of like this weird intro and, and you're like, it, it almost leaves you like, w- w- what's he saying? What comes next? But it's in this intro that I really want to pay attention because it says, for this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you Gentiles. He says, I'm a prisoner of Jesus. I'm a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. He says, I'm literally in prison because I would not renounce the name of Jesus and I would not quit preaching the name of Jesus. Why? for your sake so that you may continue to know about Jesus because if I was to stop preaching the name of Jesus and get out of prison I would not be writing you this letter and he says so I'm in prison on your behalf and then he goes on he says assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you he's, he's going back to his testimony I want you to hear this he's going back to the moment when Ananias came into his house and said and prayed for him and laid hands on him in the moment that Jesus impacted his life he's saying man God gave me grace for you He says, how the mystery was made known to me by the revelation as I have written briefly. He's talking about his testimony, the way he came to know Jesus and the way that Saul came to know Jesus and then changed his name to Paul was he was on his way with a written notice that made it legally acceptable for him to go into the next town and kill and bind and and imprison anybody who said, I love Jesus. And he was heading there. And it wasn't like, hey, this is my nine to five. It was like, man, this is my desire. This is my passion. I'm not even getting paid for this. This is just what I want to do is kill and maim and imprison Christians. I am that Taliban leader. And so he is on the way. And Jesus meets him in the road, and this is the power of Jesus. He didn't create a barricade. He didn't knock the feet of his horse out from underneath him. He simply shined a light so bright that it knocked Paul off of his horse. Like, that is power, that you could shine a light, boom, so bright that it would knock someone off. And then he began to speak to him, and he said, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And Saul looks up and says, who are you, Lord? And he says, I am the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go with these men into this, into this town. And when he got up, he realized he was blind. And I think Paul was, or Saul at the time was so spiritually blind that Jesus was simply replicating physically what was going on spiritually, that he was, his heart was so cold and so close to Jesus. He said, man, here is how your spiritual life looks, complete darkness, complete blindness. It says when Ananias decided to make that hard decision to, uh, to let grace flow through him and make a hard conversation and went there, he says, man, the scales fell off my eyes and I saw who Jesus was clearly and I saw who I was in light of God's grace. And he said, and that was the grace that was given to me for you. He said, man, grace is good, but what good is it if it stops with me? He says, man, it shouldn't stop 
with me. And I think sometimes in our life, we treat God's grace like, we, like I did martial arts. That we say, man, now we've got it, and now I'm good, I'm legit, I'm okay. And that's it. But it's no good if it starts with you. Paul, I want you to hear this that Paul was a guy who was guilty of every sin, that if you said, okay, who, if we're gonna judge you by the things you've done wrong, who deserves to get into heaven least? And everyone would point to Paul. They would say he actually killed Christians, not only people, but people who love Jesus. It's Paul. And look at this, he was called to go to the Gentiles. Who are the Gentiles? We talked about it last week. The Gentiles from birth ingrained into their brain. I don't know if this is any of you, maybe some of you have just terrible parents, but I don't think we can even imagine what this feels like. Ingrained into your brain that you are a second-class citizen, that you are less than perfect, that you are not as good as the others around you, that you don't deserve the gospel, you're unworthy of the gospel. He says, man, that is the Gentiles. And so a man who had similar scars, knowing that he was unworthy and had being healed of those scars by Jesus saying, no, in fact, you are worthy, my grace covers you, is called to go to a people who have cuts that need to be healed into the same scar. I want to make, I want to clear that up for you just a second. He had gone through some stuff in his life that had given him scars. But what's cool about a scar is a scar heals up. And I have a scar right here on my arm that I got in New Mexico in the 10th grade from hitting a sign pole, just walking. And the scar doesn't hurt, but it reminds me of what happened there. And I see how it healed and it's just there now. Paul has, man, I have similar scars of knowing I was unworthy and feeling unworthy and being washed by the blood of Jesus, and now I know I'm worthy, and I am called to those who have cuts that need to be healed into scars. And so you are going through the same thing that I've already gone through, and God is calling me to you to cause for that healing, that he was given a purpose when he received grace, that grace is given with a purpose. I want you to hear that. I want you to remember that this week. I want you to remember that in your life, that grace is given with the purpose that you didn't receive Jesus' death and resurrection and the blood washed over you and the Holy Spirit that seals you just so you could be legit and fine. He says, no, I've given it to you with a purpose in your life that you would go out from here, that you would find the Gentiles of your own community and that you would begin to love them well. Robbie Galati says this, if you want to go to uh, Student Life this summer with us, this is the guy that's going to be preaching at Student Life. This is the, the campus pastor for us. <clears throat> he said, the gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. Man, it's not about you. The gospel came to you because it was heading to someone else. God never intended for your salvation to be an end but a beginning. God saved you to be a conduit. If you don't know what that means, just think of like a water hose. That God saved you to be a conduit or a water hose through whom his glorious life-changing gospel would flow to others. The person of Ananias, Ananias, I want you to think about that. He was called, he was called to go and have a hard conversation with Paul. He was called to put purpose to his life. And some of you are going to be called in the same way. And you're going to have the same reaction as Ananias. Man, this person doesn't like me. Man, this is a hard conversation. Man, I don't want to be vulnerable. I don't want to be open. I don't want to risk everything for you. You're going to have 
that conversation or that temptation or that draw to say, no, I'm good and I'm legit here. But grace is no good if it stops with you. You've been given grace for a purpose. And so some of you are going to have some hard conversations. And I want to go back to that verse because this is what I want you to remember. That this week as you think about this, I want you just to take the word Paul out. And I want you to take um, the word Gentiles out. So that it reads, for this reason I, and you can just put your name right here. You can just put your name right over that. For this person I, Caleb, or whatever your name is, a prisoner of Christ Jesus on behalf of you. And then right here, that's where you need to be praying, is who is God saving you for? See, Jesus doesn't die on the cross for nothing. He always, God always does everything for a reason, always does everything for something. And so he died to save you for something. That you think, man, I can experience that new life and never tell anyone about Jesus. But maybe that new life that he has planned for you is only about you telling everyone else about Jesus. That maybe grace is fully experienced when you see grace flowing through you into someone else. That you, maybe grace is only fully realized when you see grace realized in someone else. That I believe that we don't really understand God's call on our life until we get up and begin to move in faith like Paul did. He says, man, for Jesus on behalf of you, that for some of you, you've gone through a, a bad marriage breakup with your parents, and you've got a scar that's healed that Jesus has done some healing in. Some of you, you've moved from across the country. Like, we should be the most diverse youth group, because not only do we have regular problems, but we also have the military issue, where you're moving back and forth, and you're losing friends, and you're gaining friends, and you can never make strong connections. That we should be a group that is so in, inter, intertwined. A group that has so many gifts here. That anyone could walk in those doors and feel welcomed, because why? We could instantly see, man, they got, they got cuts that I used to have cuts in, that mine are scars, and they need to be made in the scars. And so I'm going to shower them in the grace of Jesus. I'm going to give them a band-aid of grace that's unearned, undeserved love, that I'm going to, to just love them, whether that's physically, or, or I'm actually going to pray for them, or actually I'm going to tell them about Jesus. And that's what this group should look like. And God has, has given you and allowed you to go through things and brought you through things, and he's given you a purpose. And so I ask you, what is that? What does that look like? My prayer is that you would begin to think like Paul. That you would begin to think, man, what is my purpose? Why am I in my classes and, and these teachers and these friends and this family and this neighborhood? What is my purpose? And God is going to do great things in us and through us. That if we each individually decided that I'm going to be grace-filled, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, and that I'm going to be putting band-aids and cuts with grace, we would see Jesus do some big things.